Come on, just put their picture up on the screen. Amen. How great would that be? <laughs> well, I don't want to alarm you this morning, uh, but you may in fact be sitting next to someone who is incredibly nosy. I don't know if you knew that or not this morning. Some of you are very aware of that. And if we're honest, we're all nosy to some degree, right? And, and here's why. Uh, one of the deepest human desires is to be on the inside, the desire to, to be in the know, to know something that other people do not know. Uh, C.S. Lewis called this the inner ring. And in reference to the inner ring, C.S. Lewis uh, said this. He said, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. And so it is a driving force to be on the inside, to have knowledge other people don't have. And the, the fear of not having that knowledge um, is crippling to some people. I think that uh, is what contributes to what I call the fake Facebook cancel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, someone makes a decree on Facebook that it's toxic and they're going offline, they're shutting down their page, and, and usually it's the most dramatic person on Facebook, by the way. Have you noticed that? And then in a surprise to no one, they uh, reactivate their page, right? Because they cannot imagine not being in on the inner circle of what's going on. They cannot imagine not knowing what you had for dinner the last three nights, right? So they say confession's a little good for the soul, so let's practice that this morning. How many of you have ever deactivated your social media accounts, but then later reactivated because you couldn't stay in the fear of missing out. Anybody would acknowledge that sin? Just, yeah, three of you, the rest of you are liars. I just want to say, all right? So, so but the, why is that? Now, here's the deal. Social media did not create um, this desire to be on the inner circle. Uh, what it did is it, it exposed it or gave it a platform to be expressed. And that desire to be on the inner circle, to have special knowledge or special information or to be a part of a special group uh, is as old as the Bible itself. And it's one of the struggles, one of the many struggles that the church in Corinth was experiencing. And so let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn your phone, your tablet, whatever you're using to the book of 1 Corinthians as we continue our series uh, called Beautiful Mess with a message titled, A Word to the Wise. And this desire to be on the inner circles, in a sense, where the Corinthian Christians found themselves. It was a, a huge chief motive of their life. Uh, they're, they're living in a culture in Corinth that's obsessed with human philosophy and human wisdom. They had these great intellectuals and these great orators and these great philosophers who would get up and, and basically draw a crowd and say, hey, I've got inner wisdom that up to this point had not been revealed. And people in that culture were enamored with that. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, I told you it's like 15 problems. Paul is addressing plan of the church. He's now moved on to Ephesus. But word got back to Paul uh, in Ephesus and said, hey, the church is all messed up. And so he's writing back to them, trying to correct 15 different problems is how the book is laid out. But all of those 15 scenarios are under one main heading, which is this, an inability to break free from the culture they were saved out of. And in that culture, human philosophy, human wisdom, secret knowledge, inner circle knowledge was prized above everything else, and the people in the church were still enamored with that idea. And so he's writing, telling them, put aside all this uh, fascination with human wisdom, that everything you know in spiritual wisdom is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, But that's the way they lived. 
in their culture, they kind of viewed themselves as having cornered the market on human wisdom and, and, and philosophy and intellectualism. And, and uh, they're kind of, you ever been around a person who doesn't matter what this subject is, they seem to have wisdom on every single subject they can bring. Doesn't matter what you're talking about, they can just, they have wisdom to a spouse. Aren't you encouraged by people like that? I'm not. But that's what's going on here in the church, and they began to get enamored with this idea uh, of human wisdom, and it was causing disruption in the church. So let's pick up the text here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at verses 6 down through verse 16 as he's once again pressing into them about this idea of spiritual wisdom and where it comes from and how we obtain it and the danger of avoiding it, all right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning verse 6 says this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Some translations say complete. He's talking to Christians. Uh, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Then in verse 14 he says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Then verse 16 concludes and says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we, describing believers, we have the mind of Christ. And so what's going on here in the church, we've been learning in this, is this, again, this fascination with human wisdom, this fascination with these philosophers and intellectuals and uh, all these people waxing eloquent of their day. And so Paul is writing back uh, to correct that and offering them the account and the source of spiritual wisdom. And so that's what he's picking up that conversation here beginning in verse 6. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we defined worldly wisdom as anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we would hear that and say, why would, as a Christian of a Christ follower, if you're here today, you'd say, I would never want to do that. But in fact, we do that often, and we do it every time we say, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going in this direction. Because really what you're saying when you say that or do that is, I know that God has uh, spiritual wisdom, but I'm trusting my own intellect, wisdom, experience, talent, education, opinion, whatever. Every time we do that, we're exchanging the wisdom of God for human wisdom. And so it's very easy to fall into that. And so, but they were fascinated by this idea of philosophy and intellectualism and all those things. And so basically in chapter two, verses one through five, Paul's saying, I don't even understand why that's fascinating to you. He says, when I came and preached, Um, I wasn't this great orator like you're obsessed with. 
Uh, When I came and preached, I didn't use big, intellectual, philosophical words. I just preached a very simple gospel because the power is not in my oratory skills. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, for I determined not to know anything. Now, this is a culture that exalts knowledge above everything. And Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then listen to this in verse 3. Can you imagine driving by a church marquee sign, advertising a guest speaker, and this is the description of him in verse 3. I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. So is anybody stopping in for that service? The answer is no. Right? Because we're thinking somehow... The power is from the one in the pulpit. Somehow, the wisdom resides in the one who's speaking. And Paul's saying, no, no, none of that is absolutely true. The power in preaching is not the charisma or communication skills of the preacher. The power in preaching is the content of the text. That was radically different to them. Because then it was all about oratory skills and philosophy and sophistication and charisma and all those kinds of things. And so in verses 1 through 5, he says, I don't know why you're so fascinated with that. I didn't model that, number one. And number two, you're already in the inner circle when it comes to spiritual wisdom when you've received the gospel. You have the inside scoop on how we're made right with God, righteousness. You have the inside scoop on how to live lives pleasing to God, sanctification. You have the inside scoop on how we're saved from our sin, redemption. So he says, but for whatever reason, you're still fascinated with all of this philosophy, all of this human wisdom, and it's causing a huge problem in the church, and he's counseling them to break free from that. Now, so we're going to look at this morning three, uh, three principles in this passage on how to grow, and, uh, grow in godly wisdom. And you should dial into these this morning because here's why. The book of Proverbs clearly makes the case that, uh, that we should pursue and value wisdom above everything else in our life. The Bible says it is far more valuable than gold or silver or rubies or precious metals or stones or any of those things. And so, uh, so we should pursue it. So you should tune into this, all right? So if you're listening, say amen. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is discerning on the front end as opposed to learning something the hard way on the back end. Now, everybody in the room has spent a semester or two or at least taken a course or two in the school of hard knocks, right? And sometimes people think that's the best way to gain Wisdom is to just make mistakes. And no, no, what he's saying here is, hey, there's wisdom. God's offering wisdom on on the front end. You don't have to learn everything as a result of painful consequences on the back end. Because here's why. Sometimes the consequences of unwise and sinful decisions, that, that those things can be forgiven, but the consequences cannot always be undone. And even when they can be undone, the pain of those consequences often lingers far beyond the impact of those choices you've made. So he says, there's a better way to live than the school of hard knocks. There's wisdom, but you've got to get out of your mind where wisdom comes from and where you think it comes from and what you're fast with. Wisdom, he says, this is what it looks like. And so he's going to walk us through three truths about godly wisdom here in these verses. So what I want you to see is this. Truth number one is this. You have to understand what wisdom is. Understand what wisdom is. And ultimately, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge applied. 
You can be smart, and you can be intellectual, and you can be sophisticated in your oratory skills like they were in that culture, but that is not the same thing as wisdom. You can have advanced degrees. You can know things that other people don't know, but that doesn't mean you're walking in a wise manner. So wisdom is knowledge applied. And so uh, help that contrast that uh, against what we often, so wisdom is not, let me tell you what wisdom is not. It's not something new. Uh, oftentimes we're enamored with some kind of new teaching or, or new philosophy or, or new way of parenting or, or new way of navigating relationships or marriage or, or some kind of new, and, and sometimes we even get deceived when someone gets up and says, hey, I'm gonna open up the scriptures and, and teach something you've never heard before, right? So here's the reality. Wisdom is as old as Jesus Christ, who is eternal. The Bible describes Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, as the wisdom of God. And so wisdom is nothing new. It's as old as Jesus Christ, who is eternal. Now, we can agree with that. We like the sound of that. Like in church, right? Like if you don't know the answer, the answer is always Jesus in church, right? And so when we say wisdom is as old as Jesus, who is eternal, we say amen to that. Let me illustrate how easy it is in the church to be deceived by this idea of hidden wisdom or secret teaching or getting in what C.S. Lewis called the, the inner circle. Let me give you an illustration that I think most of you will at least be familiar with. Uh, we have a tendency to be enamored with every Christian fad that comes down the line. Have you noticed that? Remember the prayer of Jabez's book when it came out and the craze that surrounded it? Now, just in case that preceded your time, uh, let me give you the cliff notes. The Prayer of Jabez was an immediate bestseller, and according to some sources, it became the fastest-selling book uh, up to that point in history. By 2001, the book had sold nearly 2 million copies and was awarded the Platinum Book Award. The, what I'm going to call trinket sales, um, more than multiply that over and over, you could buy the Prayer of Jabez everything, Right? Like if you went to the family Christian store during that point in time, there were two things at the counter. There were testaments. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, Christian mints. I don't even know what that means. Testaments. And then prayer of Jabez, keychains and T-shirts and visors and, and capes. And I, I don't know, everything, right? By 2008, the prayer of Jabez crossed the 10 million sales threshold and received the Diamond Book Award, putting it in the rarest of company. Only four other Christian books before or since have surpassed 10 million sold. The book is based on two verses from First Chronicles chapter 4. I'll read them to you. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me. This is what you're supposed to repeat every day is the prayer of Jabez. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Now, are those bad things to pray for? No. But is that some kind of secret formula that, that forces a sovereign God to do what he does not want to do because you repeated some kind of mantra. You can't hold a sovereign God hostage with your prayers no matter how many times you repeat them over and over and over. That's what's wrong with the prosperity gospel. That if I speak these things into existence and somehow God who is sovereign is forced to respond in a certain way. Listen, let me tell you a secret. You've never forced God to do anything in your life. Right? 
And so the, the issue of the prayer of Jabez, listen, it was a descriptive prayer, not prescriptive for us to do over and over as some kind of formula to force God's blessing in our life. Now, that's simple theology, uh, theology, simple theological principles. So why in the world did so many people buy into that idea? And Well, here's how. Let me read you the opening introduction of the book where the author writes this. Listen to this. He says, I want to teach you how to pray a daring prayer that God always answers. Well, who doesn't want to pray that prayer, right? Who doesn't want to pray a prayer that God is forced to answer? Okay, number one. But then he says this. It is brief. Only one sentence with four parts, and here it is. It is tucked away in the Bible. Ooh. Right? Okay. I'm inviting you into this inner circle of secret knowledge tucked away in the scriptures that no one's ever heard about or learned before. And you know what we say? Well, there it is. There's what I've been waiting for. I've just been waiting for, I just, you know, this is finally filling in all the blanks. Listen, it's what C.S. Lewis said, that desire to be on the inner circle. It's what they were struggling with at Corinth. Every philosopher stood up and, and gained a following and said, I'm going to teach you things that no one's ever heard before. And they were enamored with that. And we look at that and go, they're so foolish. Listen, we're not much different. We're not much different. It's the appeal to be a part of the inner secret of wisdom that had been hidden or, to use his words, tucked away until now. The formula was so successful that his follow-up book leveraged that same idea, and it sold two million copies. You know what the title of it was? Secrets of the Vine. In other words, <laughs> it's not the most familiar passage in the New Testament. I don't know how it was secret. In other words... All these secrets have been hidden from you, but now I'm going to reveal them to you. And people could just clamored to that. In other words, they want to come into this inner circle of wisdom as if God's wisdom has not been made available since Jesus Christ, who is eternal. And so we look at them in 1 Corinthians 6, we're like, you're so foolish. Who in the world would sit around and listen to someone's like, hey, I got new knowledge. Listen, here's the answer. We would. We would, as evidenced by the book sales, we would be enamored with that idea as well as they were struggling with as well. So wisdom is not new. It is old truth freshly applied. That's what wisdom is. That everything God has revealed for us for, to pertains to life and godliness, God has revealed to us in the scriptures. I'm not up here preaching anything new every week. I'm preaching something incredibly old, but still powerful. That's what wisdom is. It's knowledge applied. It's not new. But we're always itching for new ideas, new philosophies, new ways to do things. Uh, there's always this idea, well, the Bible's old-fashioned. It's not relevant uh, anymore. And so uh, verse 6, what Paul says in, in chapter 2, verse 6, he said, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. What is the wisdom of this age? It's any new human philosophy that's popular at the time. It's anything new that comes down the pike and people are like, I've never heard such teaching. I'm enamored with that. Uh, let me offer up some human opinions uh, for this current era we're living in. Uh, this idea that the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's godly wisdom. But human wisdom says there are many paths to God. Human wisdom of this age is to love someone is to endorse their behavior. That's human wisdom. Human wisdom is, uh, in this current age, just because something is true for you doesn't mean it's true for me. Listen, truth by its very nature is exclusive. 
Two plus two, if it equals four, two plus three also does not equal four. Why? Because truth by its very nature is objective and exclusive. But the wisdom of this age says, listen, whatever you want to be true may not be true for you. It's not true for me. Listen, if someone says, uh, I believe that, that it's whatever's true for you is not true for me, tell them to run off a cliff and see how that turns out. Well, I'll die. Well, that may not be true for you. Maybe you'll live, right? It's the wisdom of this age. Here's another. Kids don't need discipline. They just need encouragement. I just assume someone doesn't have kids when they say that. Amen. Here's a wisdom of this age. Gender is a social construct, as is the idea of marriage. The wisdom of God says in the beginning, he created them male and female. The wisdom of this age says the problem is not your sin nature, it's your environment. And so you get the idea. And so here's the reality. Most of the time, we're pretty good at spotting those out in culture when they're directly opposed to a Christian worldview. Like we can usually spot that a mile away, denounce it, stand against it, whatever the case is. But let me tell you how this human wisdom subtly creeps into our churches like it crept into the church here at Corinth. Here's how this happens in the church. It is a consistent diet of teaching from the pulpit where there is a de-emphasizing of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. It's teaching that uh, where the Bible is used sporadically to prop up or support some thoughts or stories that the pastor has as opposed to the Bible driving the thoughts that everybody should have. There's a huge difference between talking about the Bible and teaching through the Bible. Two times in the (laughs) past four years, uh, we have had people leave our church and tell us this is why. You guys take the Bible Way too seriously. One of them said, uh, every, time, every time you give an answer, there's a Bible verse attached to it. I said, you're welcome. I don't think I've ever been more encouraged by criticism in my life, right? Because one of the comments we hear is, hey, we, we love, you're teaching the Bible. And, and I'm just, every time I hear that, I'm thinking, well, what exactly are the church? Are they just, are they up there telling jokes? And I could, listen, I got jokes. I'm funny. I could do it. <laughs> but here's why we're so committed to teaching through the Bible and so deeply convicted about the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Because here's why. Anything devoid of that is me offering up my human wisdom. And I have no wisdom to offer other than when I speak the wisdom of God. That on every single subject, our foundational conviction is that God has more wisdom than we do on every subject in life. That's why we're teaching the way we teach. That's why we counsel the way we counsel. That's the conviction that we're operating from. Because if it's my wisdom, it's the wisdom of this age that verse 6 talks about. My opinion doesn't change anyone's life. It is the truth of God's word that does that. And so, what he's saying here is, hey, listen, there's, I know you're enamored by new stuff, Corinth. I know we're enamored by new stuff, secrets of the vine and verses tucked away and all that kind of stuff. But he's saying, listen, the wisdom you're offering people that actually changes lives, it's as old as eternity. Look at verse 7, what's he say? Now, the first part is confusing because he says this. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom from which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Now, that's a little bit confusing, right? Because we just said there's no hidden wisdom, that the wisdom's not, you know, mystery on how to find it. But then he says in verse 7 that there is something hidden, there is some mystery that's involved here. So what exactly is he talking about? Well, the clue is at the end of verse 7. Look at it again. What's he say? God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
And so what he's saying is, hey, there was a period of time where God had a grand plan of redemption that God preordained before the world was even created that the Old Testament saints did not understand. But now it's been revealed in Jesus Christ through the New Testament, through the New Covenant, that now you have access to that the generations Old Testament saints did not have access to. It was a mystery to them. And the reality is simply this. He says, so wisdom is not new. It is as old and eternal as Jesus Christ. It is found in the wisdom of revealed through Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. And so don't get beyond that truth. Don't, don't ever get to a place where you're bored with the Bible. Don't ever approach a passage like, oh, I already know that story. I've already read through that over those kinds of things. Listen, I'm starting a new campaign for 2020. It's called Make Scripture Great Again. Amen. You vote for that? One person is. We're excited. And so let's just put away all this, you know, you can do it and Jesus can help. What are we, Home Depot? Let's put away all this being mesmerized by charismatic people and start evaluating on the content. Let's not get bored with old truth and trade it for emotional experiences and laser shows. You know what that is? It's fool's gold. It sparkles and people are attracted to it, but there's no value in it. It's what he's saying. And he's saying, hey, Corinth, I know that you're enamored with all these philosophers and intellectuals around you, but when it comes to spiritual wisdom, what they're offering is bankrupt. And when you've got Jesus, you are in on the inner circle of wisdom of God. And so number one, let's understand what wisdom is and what it's not. It's not new, it's old. Number two, let's understand how wisdom is found. Let's understand where wisdom is found. Well, here's the reality. True wisdom is actually not found. It, it finds us. And so what do I mean by that? Well, look at verses 11 and 12. In verse 11 in chapter 2, he says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of a man which is in him? So in other words, you can't read someone's mind. Then he goes on and says this, the end of verse 11. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So anytime you see that, there's a cause and effect here. Here's why God's given us the Holy Spirit, all right? Look at the end of verse 12. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And so what he's saying is here, you don't, you don't find wisdom, it finds you because when you receive the Holy Spirit, then what's made accessible to you is the wisdom of God. And so what he's saying is there's every genuine believer who has received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has access to spiritual wisdom. That should be incredibly encouraging to you, that if you've been born again and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then the wisdom of God is available to you through the Holy Spirit. That should be encouraging. I'm looking up some of your faces. You're not encouraged, all right? I'm encouraged. But let's just ask an honest question. Do we not know people who are truly born again, who have the Spirit of God living inside of them, who are living with a lack of wisdom? So here's the question. How in the world, how in the world do we reconcile those two truths? Well, my experience, part of it is we don't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. My experience is in non-charismatic circles, uh, we're a little nervous when people start talking about the Holy Spirit, right? 
We're not sure exactly. We're, we're afraid of the, some of the excess of the charismatic movement. And so we overcorrect to the point where we kind of neglect any teaching on the role or the work or the person of the Holy Spirit. And I talked to a guy one time, and he said, listen, I'm fine with the Holy Spirit. He said, but um, the Holy Ghost makes me nervous. And I said, well, let's talk about that. Because I think they know each other, Right. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit is such a neglected truth that several years ago, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. Here are the cliff notes on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Holy Spirit comforts us. Remember what Jesus said when he was ascending? His disciples were like, oh, that's a terrible idea. We're going to buy ourselves. He said, don't worry, I'm sending another one who's coming after me, the comforter. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. And those times we're so distraught, we don't know what to pray. The Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf to the Father. The Holy Spirit empowers us to obey. That's what we call spirit-filled or spirit-empowered or spirit-yielded living. But then also, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, what does it say? These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Here it is but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, the Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us discern spiritual wisdom is what he's saying there. So if a person's been born again, the Spirit of God lives in them. He is the teacher and makes accessible the wisdom of God So how in the world do we reconcile this idea that there are people who have the Holy Spirit living in them but are living foolishly? Well, I want you to listen. Here's the reality. Wisdom being accessible and being appropriated are not the same thing. Let me repeat that. Wisdom being accessible and being appropriated are not the same thing. You know what that means? You can be saved and still act a fool is what that means. That's what that means. And so how do we grow in wisdom? How do we read that and go, man, the Holy Spirit's inside of me. He's teaching me. And I've got access to God's wisdom. And it's not new. It's been there all along. But now I've got access to it. So how do I grow in wisdom? Let me make this as practical as possible. and give you three practical steps to grow in this wisdom to uh, appropriate what's accessible through the Holy Spirit. Number one is pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Listen, if you want wisdom, go to the source. Proverbs cannot state it any clear. It says this, For if you cry for discernment, which is another word for wisdom in scriptures, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. Listen to this. If you seek her as silver, who among us in here would walk out and on the front stoop of the step see a gold or silver bar and go, I'm not even stopping to pick that up. Listen, I'm knocking you down to pick it up, all right? I'm taking that, I'm putting that on the counter at White Castle and saying, load it up. He says, that's how valuable it is. He says, search for her as hidden treasure. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says in Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and discover the knowledge of God. For listen, for the Lord gives wisdom. For from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so if you want wisdom, where do you start with? Go to the source and pray and ask God to provide it. In the New Testament, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. So the starting point for growing in wisdom is make requests from the one who dispenses it. That's the starting point. 
Number two, keep wise company. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are written by a father wishing to impart wisdom to his children. And over and over, what he keeps repeating is that wisdom will come through the wise counsel of godly advisors and the warning that foolishness is contagious. And so if you want to gain wisdom, spend time with wise people and avoid fools. It's that simple. But listen, one of my absolute favorite verses in the entire Bible Probably my second favorite verse in the entire Bible is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Every student, every parent should memorize this and pass it on to their kids. It could not get any plainer than this. Here's what Proverbs 13, 20 says. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's what it says. You know what you think when you're 15, 16, 17 years old? Sometimes when you're 50, you still think this. I can hang out with whoever I want. It doesn't affect me. You know what else the Bible says? Good company corrupts bad character. Or bad company corrupts good character. I got that wrong. <laughs> you know what the foolish person thinks? I can hang out with whoever I want. It won't affect me. What? That's human wisdom. That's your opinion. That's human wisdom. What does godly wisdom say? Godly wisdom says the companion of fools will be destroyed. How many times have you heard this story where someone's life who fell apart and it goes something like this? I just got mixed in with the wrong crowd. You know what they learned? That the Bible's wisdom is true. That the companion of fools will be destroyed is what they learned. Keep wise company. Failure happens when we fail to consult wise people around us. Here's a third way to grow in wisdom. Third way is to increase your appetite. James tells us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, right? But here's the reality. You can't be a doer of what you're not a knower of, right? I don't think that's a real word, but I said it. You can't apply what you do not know. Proverbs, or Psalm 19.7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But here's what I have to know first is the actual testimony of the Lord. If wisdom is essentially knowledge applied, you cannot apply what you do not know. Now, here's what everybody in the room has to wrestle with, me included. And this is convicting, but we all got to wrestle with this, me included. is simply this, is your knowledge of Scripture is growing at the rate you desire it to. That's true of everybody in the room, me included. Our knowledge of Scripture is growing at the rate we desire it to. That's the reality. So we've got to increase our appetite. Here's the third truth in this passage, simply this. Truth number three, you have to understand the the limits of wisdom. If you want to get a hold of God's spiritual wisdom, you have to understand um, it's not available to everyone. You say, really? Really? Where do you see that at? Verse 14. Look at verse 14. What's he say? Verse 14, but the natural man. Now, who is the natural man? It's the unsaved person. The spiritual man who's been born again by the supernatural work of God. Being regenerated is a supernatural work of God. So the natural man has not received the supernatural work of regeneration. So the natural man is the unsaved person, all right? What's he say in verse 14? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. What does that mean? I'll make this as simple as I can. 
If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, I'm just kind of checking this thing out. Listen, that's totally fine. That's, it's a process journey. I get all that. But here's what I want you to understand, because this is straight from Scripture, according to verse 14. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the message of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture and the wisdom of God will never make sense to you. It will never click. The dots will not connect. That's what he's saying. I've, I've talked to people over and over before, and they're like, well, I'm not a Christian. I've tried to read the Bible. It doesn't make sense. And I said, you know what? The Bible predicts it's not going to make sense. Like, you serious? God's got all this knowledge out here, and I, I can't learn it. I said, you can learn some of it, but some of it is only accessible when the Spirit of God is living inside of you, helping you understand what the natural man does not understand. Like, oh, I don't believe that. And I was like, well, here's what the Bible says. What does it say in verse 14? Look at it again. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. In their culture, where all this philosophy and intellectual was, the idea that the gospel was so simple, it was, was, full, it was so silly. The idea where it was about power in their culture, that, that the, the answer to our problems is, is someone crucified on a tree. That's too weak of a Savior. It's foolishness to them. And so what he's saying here is simply this, that if I haven't been born again, I haven't received the Spirit of God, then what, the, what does that mean? That means there are some things in the Bible that, I, that will never make sense. Never make sense. You know what makes sense to human wisdom? Be a good person and earn your way to, where to heaven. Does that make sense? Make sure your good outweighs your bad. But it's human wisdom. And so he says, hey, the natural man, he cannot know the things of, of God because they've not been revealed by the Spirit of God who is our teacher. Now contrast that with those who've been born again, verse 16, which says this. Look at verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And here it is. But we, he's addressing Christians, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, revealing spiritual truth to us that we could not make sense of apart from his work in us. So, so here's what I want to share with you this morning. We're done. If you profess to be a Christian and it just, none of it ever makes sense to you, but you walked down out at some point, you got baptized, you, you know, cried at some campfire somewhere, but, but when people are teaching this whole message of what it looks like to follow Christ, if it doesn't make sense to you, if you look at other people reorienting their life around Jesus, giving as much money away as they can, parenting their kids on the wisdom of Scripture, forgiving people instead of holding, like if, if what we're teaching doesn't make sense to you and you've made a profession of faith, then what he's saying here is in fact um, you may not know Jesus Christ. If you look at other people who you know who are passionately following Christ and you're like, they've turned into fanatics, like they're, they've gotten ridiculous. Tim Keller said this of the early church, their lives didn't make sense to the culture around them. He said they gave everyone their money and gave no one their body. It didn't make sense. Listen, the wisdom of God will never make sense to those who don't know Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you see other people living for Christ, and you're like, I just, that just doesn't even make sense to me. Then you may not have the Spirit of God living inside of you is what he's trying to lean into. And that's the bad news. That's the hard news. But here's the good news. That because of his grace, you can receive him today. That all the mystery that was revealed in Jesus Christ and all the wisdom of God that comes from the Spirit of God is available to every person in the room today if you'll receive the Son of God who is described as the wisdom of God as your personal Lord and Savior. And you can do that right now.
Would you bow your head this morning? With your heads bowed this morning, I want to ask two questions for you to take inventory of this morning. Number one, does the message of Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ not make sense to you? And if the answer is, you know what, it doesn't, and quite frankly, it never has, then according to the passage we just read, it may be because you've yet to be born again and receive the Holy Spirit, who's our teacher. And so if you're here this morning and you've made some profession of faith in some point in your life, but you look at how other committed Christians are living and you just think it's, quite frankly, it's silly, there's a chance you've never been born again, according to verse 14 and 15. The things of God will never make sense to those who don't know the Son of God. And so, if that's you today, and you say, you know what? I don't think I know Jesus. Listen, here's the good news of grace. You can pray and receive him today. You can confess your sins, ask him to forgive you of your sins. You can surrender your life and invite him to become your Lord and Savior. And you can be born again and your sins forgiven today. And so if that's you today, you come to church all the time, it just doesn't make sense, you read the Bible, it doesn't make sense, and you realize, I've never been born again. Would you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? Would you pray and ask him to forgive you of your sins and surrender your life to him? Here's the second question I want to ask. Heads are still bowed. For those of you who do know Jesus Christ, I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hands. Is there an area of your life where God has revealed today through the preaching of his word that you are refusing to live in his wisdom and instead you're operating out of your own human wisdom. Maybe that's the way you approach your career. Maybe it's how you're navigating your home life, marriage and parenting. Maybe it's how you're navigating a relationship that you're in that you know is outside the wisdom of God. Maybe it's human wisdom that says you should not forgive that, but you know that God is convicting you to extend forgiveness and reconcile relationship. Is there any area of your life that the Holy Spirit has revealed this morning that you're living in your own wisdom? And if God brings something to mind this morning, here's my challenge. Would you just confess that? And would you just say, Lord, for whatever reason, I've resisted your wisdom on how to navigate this situation. And Lord, starting today, right now, I'm submitting myself to your wisdom. I'm trusting you with an outcome that I cannot see because you're wise. Would you do that today? Would you make him Lord over that area of your life? Father, we're grateful that you've not left us to our own wisdom to navigate life. But God, you've offered us Jesus Christ and his life, the one who is the wisdom of God. And so, Lord, I pray for those who don't know him today. I pray for those who have finally clicked that today they would come to the place and receive him as their Lord and Savior. But God, I also pray for those who know Christ. God, I pray today that they would come to the place 
or whatever it is they're trying to fix, figure out, navigate. God, they just put that at your feet and say, Lord, you're smarter than I am. Lord, you've got more wisdom than I do. Lord, I'm gonna do it your way even when I can't see the outcome of how it's gonna turn out. And God, thank you for your grace that's available when we do operate in our own wisdom. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to trust you deeply with every area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.